Hello, and welcome to today's episode of Absolutely Not. I am your host, Katrina Stroll. I am a certified career coach and HR consultant who created this space because so many professionals out there have difficulty setting boundaries, and I just don't want them to have that difficulty anymore. So I bring resources onto the show to give us examples of how to set personal boundaries at work. Before we jump into today's topic, I always like to define words that we use frequently on the show The first being boundary, something that indicates or fixes a limit. For example, making sure that when you're in conversation with people who are wanting to work with you, you don't give them the whole pie. You don't give them all of your intellectual secrets or uh, tricks of the trade. Just give them what they need for that meeting. Gaslighting, to manipulate someone by psychological means into questioning their own sanity. For example, if you went up to somebody in your organization and and you were crying and you said, oh my gosh, I just had such a difficult conversation with Joe, Bob, and Jill. Um, Could you please give me some advice? And they say, well, did you misinterpret what Joe, Bob, and Jill were saying? They're so nice. Maybe you took it the wrong way. That's gaslighting. Dismissive, showing that something is unworthy of consideration. For example, if you go to someone again with those same concerns and they say, okay, could you just set that up for right now? I have places to go. And they kind of rush off and say, okay, we'll do this at another time. That's dismissive. Today's episode is entitled, Nah, Saying Yes to Black Mental Wellness. I know, isn't that a great title with an even better special guest? My special guest today is Camila Clayton. She is a registered social worker and psychotherapist. Oh, wow. And owner of Ajo Counseling and Consulting Services, specializing in African-centered psychotherapy and the facilitation of learning opportunities around Black mental health and wellness. Wow. In addition to running a successful private practice, Camila is a speaker, advocate, and mentor. In 2020, Camila co-developed and led a mental health strategy for a community organization in, in the York region. The strategy helped to demystify mental illness among African descended peoples and bring awareness to the impact anti-Black racism has on mental illness. Oh my goodness. She is a mother, daughter, sister, auntie, and friend. When she isn't working, she can be found reading a book, sitting by the lake, and crushing a good meal, or taking a lesson from her greatest teacher, her daughter. Oh, no. Thank you so much for being here today. Oh, my God, Katrina. Like, thank you for making me sound so good. Um, And thank you for having me and for this space. It's amazing. I'm happy to be here. You are amazing. I I didn't do anything. I am in awe of you, but let's jump into today's topic. Where did the title, nah, um, saying yes to Black mental wellness come from? Honestly, it was, um, I think a moment for me or a a series of moments that I was reflecting on um, when I was thinking about this episode. And really the thing that has been so strong over the past year for my own wellness and the wellness of people around me Um, and in my practice has been saying no 
to the things that we don't want to deal with, to the things that aren't working for us or aren't right for us, rather than continuing to say yes and struggling or suffering with those decisions that we've made. So it's okay to say no. It's actually just like this beautiful word. And, you know, because I I love being black and I love, you know, black vernacular, whatever it is, nah felt more appropriate because no was just not strong enough. So yes, it's about saying no to make sure that we're taking care of ourselves and centering our needs. And I love it because it adds to the list of ways you can say no to people while using boundaries. So how do how do boundaries help you to say yes to your black mental wellness? So again, for me, it really is about making the decision that my wellness has to come before anything else. And I can't do anything. I can't be of service to anyone. I can't be a mom or a partner or anything else to anybody unless I'm taking care of myself. And I have you know, such a long history of work in saying yes and being that person that was always available, always on and always ready to you know, do the work. And I realized that that is so taxing and it was affecting all of the relationships around me. And so I had to make the decision to start creating those boundaries so that I wasn't giving all of myself up at work and I was preserving some of myself and most importantly, like my values and my integrity so that when I'm with my family and the people that I care about, I can be present and have the energy to be here. Mm -hmm. So I can have the energy to be here. And I love that you use the word taxing because I think a lot of times when we say yes to things, we're not thinking about the tax. So mm -hmm. could you kind of express what that tax looks like over time when we continue to say yes to things? So we, um, begin to compromise on our values. And so, it, you know, today it is, I don't want to work past five as a value around having boundaries around, um, you know, work and home. Tomorrow it's, well, I'm not going to work past seven o'clock or I'm not going to answer the phone or I'm not going to check emails on my day off. And it's a really slippery slope. And once you begin to get into, you know, for lack of a better word, that rabbit hole, the physical toll, um, you know, is probably what you feel first, but there's actually a mental toll. And if I use myself as an example, there was an, a literal time that I said, I don't even know who I am. And I remember when I said it, I was in, um, you know, a staff meeting of all black staff. And I said, I don't even know who this person is that I'm looking at in the mirror because I had compromised so much on my values and even the reason that I was engaged in the work that I was engaged in. And so that tax, is you know putting everything out there for everyone else's consumption and not thinking about who you are and what you need in order to continue to be you know true to your values true to yourself and have some guiding principles around how you want to live your life so that tax is a lot and it for me was physical and mental and i truly cannot thank you enough for sharing your experiences with us today um one of the words that you use that makes me want to cry is um, the word compromise. So to compromise is kind of to come to a, an agreement. But when you, when you don't set boundaries, you, you're not, you're not, you're just, <laughs> uh, the compromise is with them, I guess. They had the whole meeting, the whole, and you weren't even there. You just mm -hmm. let it happen. Oh, mm -hmm. can you take notes if we're not at the meeting? Oh, no. Um, <laughs> 
You also talked about the consumption part of it. So when you're not setting boundaries, people are able to consume your time, to consume your mental health, consume your entire identity. Mm -hmm. And when you said, I I don't even know who I am, man, Mm -hmm. they hit me right in the chest. Um, What helped you to move from, I don't even know who I am to who you are today? Saying nah. Um, like get your tissue. Oh, no. So for me, um, you know, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and Ahmaud Aubrey. Um, you know, I had always had a passion for working for the betterment of my community, but I always did it from like a strengths-based, identity-affirming place. And when you know, the three of them were murdered um, in such close kind of time span. It took me back to when Trayvon Martin was murdered. And I went into an emotional spiral, feeling all kinds of things that I had never felt before and not able to even focus on what was happening around me. I wouldn't call it psychosis, but I would definitely call it almost an out-of-body experience, uncontrollable crying, not really understanding the different decisions that I needed to make. And I realized that if I continue to live a life that was steeped in trying to seek approval from people who didn't give two shits about me, or being steeped in you know, whiteness or white supremacy and really looking to serve people who I could never be at their level in their eyes, that I would essentially have to give up everything about who I am in order to just even try and gain parity. So that was a pivotal moment for me in terms of my thinking and knowing that I needed to scale back. And I realized that I was so complicit in a lot of the things that were happening to me Mm-hmm. And a lot of things that were happening to my black colleagues in the workplace. And so I decided that I needed to make a change. And that was, I think, the moment that that happened. Mm. Um, I do not want to leave me alone. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, what, I, what I have written down here is just um, you were giving up so much of who you were to just trying to fit that mold that was set, I mean, it was set a long time ago, but uh, just that system is in place of what professional looks like, of what uh, success looks like in a workplace. And yeah, I think the same thing happened with a lot of black professionals at the same time, we all just kind of, wow, one, life is too fucking short for me to try to be white at work. Um, mm-hmm. I already gotta be white outside so that I don't get killed. Um, but uh, to do it at work, it's just, we, we're there 40 plus hours a week. How would I even, you know? Um, so I really appreciate you sharing that with, with us today. Um, when you had that emotional kind of transformation and just um, be able to come from the ashes and say, no, this is not it, nah. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the first step in becoming the new boundary setting you? I started to mm-hmm. unpack everything. Like somebody said, good morning to me. And I was like, the fuck do they want <laughs> Like everything became a thing. And, you know, that level of consciousness takes a lot of work and a lot of energy until it becomes automatic. And then things started to become automatic for me. And I realized that 
I had to then ask myself questions consistently. Like, are you complicit or are you challenging? Are you complicit or are you in everything, in every little thing that I was doing? And then I had, um, you know, I was responsible for a team of people and I had the responsibility of making sure that they also had an awareness of what was happening in the world and the impact that that would have on their work in the community. So I got really intentional about creating a framework from which I was gonna work and I was gonna consult with people and I was gonna give information to them. But I also sat in a place of humility and recognizing that I didn't know everything and that there were experiences for that were happening for non-Black people that I wanted to be able to um, sit with and digest. Because if I don't understand even where people are coming from, regardless of you know, what they're doing, I can't do this work effectively because I need to get into their mind. So it's really intentional about unpacking things, looking at things differently through you know, what I call the Black gaze. Um, and also using what I was learning to inform my relationships and then the relationships that they had with others in the community. So it was really, really intentional. And that shit was so exhausting, but I feel so much more liberated because I engaged in that intentional work and continue to. And continue to. Um, yeah. For anybody in the audience or who's listening to this, I need you to realize that this is continuous work. It's so much of you inside of yourself and just ensuring, am I upholding this system today? And how so? Can I stop doing this? Do I have enough resources to stop doing this? And if you don't, then we still got to come up with a plan somehow because we can't be um, feeding the system forever. We got to feed ourselves at some time. Man, mm -hmm. my brain is rattled right now because I'm just so floored by how much you have shared with us today. I cannot thank you enough for bringing it to the table. I do not want to crack me pillow. Um, <laughs> what was one of the first boundaries you had to set at work after you realized, okay, we are intentional, we are moving forward? I stopped giving away my intellectual property. And I hate to call it that because a lot of this is ancestral knowledge. And I'm very you know, deeply connected to my ancestors um, I believe. Um, but it was apparent to me that the things that I was bringing to the table in terms of knowledge and experience and information weren't being held um, in a sacred way. They weren't being attributed to me. And not that I am, you know, looking for the accolades or looking for the attention, but when you take my ideas and you give credit to someone else who didn't do shit all it's a problem. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, historically black women have always just put their heads down and rode and did the work and not look for acknowledgement. And I was like, fuck that, acknowledge me, like acknowledge me. Mm -hmm. I have put in so much energy and I deserve to have that acknowledgement and not from like a, a braggadocious place as Jamaicans would say, but from a place of, you know what, I understand your worth and I value you. And I see that you are committed to this work and I wanna make sure that that effort is acknowledged. And I wasn't getting that. <laughs> and I just wanna to speak to you advocating for yourself is also advocating for other black women. The next time that that organization tries to 
defile the intellectual property of a black woman they will think twice and i don't mean in like a stereotypical way where they're like oh man black women all have attitudes let's not try them but they will see us worthy enough to give credit to mm-hmm. and that's that's what these boundaries i mean they're not to overthrow the system by yourself but they are letting the system know hey there's more of us out here and we're not taking this shit no more like we're just not Mm-hmm. Um, could you talk about how, when you started setting these boundaries, people reacted? Yeah. So a lot of the opportunities that were there for me closed up. I mean, I could literally hear doors closing, um, people that would speak to me or acknowledge me, you know, cause at this point we're in the pandemic, everything is virtual. They would have acknowledged me publicly they're sending me private messages or DMs um, because they don't want other people to see that they're interacting with me. And so there was a literal <laughs> like closing in of me, <laughs> bless you, um, in the workplace. And it felt, oh, God, I'm not gonna cry, I'm not gonna cry. It felt like everything I had put in was nothing. Um, And at that point you begin to question yourself, like shit, am I worthy? Like, am I, you know, am I supposed to be here? Like, am I okay? Like I started second guessing myself for a minute, like just a minute. And then I was like, nah, this is, this isn't a me problem. This is a systems problem. And so many black women have these experiences in workplaces. And so I needed to give myself the space to acknowledge that I wasn't alone, although I felt like I was alone um, and that it was okay for me. And I feel like I'm going off topic, but like, I, I, I'm gonna land the plane. It was okay for me to own how angry I was. And I started calling myself the angry black woman, but I had a right to be angry because of all the harm that has been caused to me. And so I really, I don't even remember the question, but you know, we're, we're landing somewhere. I felt like I needed to just be more of myself. So I became more vocal and I didn't care. I started to just see the doors closing as opportunities to look elsewhere. And I would tell you, this is the, God, the universe is so amazing. Every single door that closed for me, two or three more opened Mm -hmm. to the point that I could see a life outside of full-time work. And that was beautiful. Mm -hmm. It was beautiful. So there was, yeah, I, I remember the question now. The question was, I'm so silly. The reaction was that people started to turn their back on me. But in their turning their back, they made space for people that wanted to be in my life, which was the most beautiful blessing. So now I'm filled with people that care about me and see me. Mm. Thank you. <laughs> and I, Hi. <laughs> I love that so much because I think the fear of not filling those spaces um, is what keeps people in the system, keeps them compliant, keeps them. And that's what abusive relationships want. They want you to be fearful of 
oh, I'm never going to find someone like this. I'm never going to find an organization that treats me like this or will pay me this good. Let me tell you something. There are way better organizations out there for you and they are waiting for you. So please don't let fear be the thing that keeps you in abuse. And I said abuse for a reason because that's what it is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, thank you so much for sharing that with us. Um, so the people started closing the doors. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, as soon as they started closing the doors, I, you said you had a light bulb in your head that was like, is this me? And then immediately was like, no, nah, this, this, yeah, I'm good. Um, what about the people that are starting that is this me? What would you say to them? What's, what's the first step to do when you're doing the is, is this me? The most important step is to remember why you started at whatever place it is in the first place. And I had to reconnect with the values that I came into that place with because I was very intentional about where I wanted to work, why I went to school to do this thing. And so reconnecting with the reason that you started at this place is really important. And for some people, it's just a paycheck. And so all of this stuff that we're talking about in terms of experience is not really that important because they have full lives outside of work and they just do their thing. So that's step number one. Step number two is like making a list of what brings you joy or what makes you feel fulfilled. And then seeing if that is still connected to the original purpose or the reason that you started there. Then look at the things that you're dealing with. I call it the bullshit and make a list of that as well. And when you compare your two lists, does the bullshit outweigh the value that you're getting from that place that you're working? And if it does, it's time to start rethinking whether or not that's the place for you. And I want to add something because one of the realizations that I had to come to is that I would rather be precariously employed and free than tied to an organization that doesn't value who I am. The perks are irrelevant. The salary, six figures, irrelevant if you feel like shit every day when you go to work. So I'm free and I love it. I love it. Um, and that's exactly how I feel when, so I'm still in the system a little bit. I, I work part-time in the system. Um, but when I set those boundaries with the system and the system's like, oh, what the fuck was that? I feel so free. Cause I'm like, yeah, I don't like, I exist outside of this. So I don't really, subscribe to whatever you're trying to do here mm -hmm. um to the people that are still in the system now and are inspired by your story and are thinking about jumping right out the gate or um what were the what were the steps to be intentional before making that jump so I was fortunate in that some of that work was done for me. So the, the universe created opportunities for me and connected me to people who saw my worth and value and were willing to pay for it. Mm -hmm. So I cultivated, and not because I wanted opportunities, but I cultivated relationships with amazing people. So I am still connected um, to different organizations, but the way that they treat me, the way they value me, the way that my voice is heard feels so different so different so that's what was your question again oh my god what is the first step before making the jump out of the system sorry yeah. so <laughs> thinking about your life purpose 
I knew, and I was fortunate enough to go through this really amazing spiritual process that allowed me to uncover my life purpose. And, you know, you don't have to go through that, but thinking about and really understanding why you're here and considering whether the work that you're doing now is the move for you or there is something better, that's really important. Mm -hmm. Getting to know people, and if you decide that there's something else out there for you, getting to know people who are doing that work and asking a lot of questions, mm -hmm. because it may seem like one thing on the outside and then when you get in, it's something completely different. So asking those questions and not being afraid. I, I talk to people off of LinkedIn like almost weekly who just wanna understand what I do. And I think because I have such a community-minded uh, like mindset, I'm good to have those conversations because I feel like it's going to set someone up to do something that they're meant to do as opposed to settling for something that they're, you know, going to be able to use to pay their mortgage. Mm -hmm. I also think it's important to understand your worth and value. We underestimate our power way too much. And because of that, so many of us are afraid to take those leaps and maybe even do independent work. And if that's something that you're interested in, I would say, you know, tip your foot in the water, you know, stay employed by somebody who allows you to have a stable income, but tip your foot in the water and see if this is something that you really like. Cause you may, you know, get out there and be like, no, nah, I don't want that. I'm really happy with the security <laughs> of a full-time job. Right. So those are my top three tips. Discover your life purpose, connect to people who may be doing the thing that you want to do and tip your foot in the water before you step in with both feet. And I love that you tipped your head to kind of the support network that you have before you tipped your foot in the water. Um, are there any people that you want to shout out in your support network before we open it to the floor? I can't because I'll get in a lot of trouble. Oh. But what I will say <laughs> is that um, many of them are white people and they have such a humility and um, like a desire to understand how they can do better and be better and are engaged in the journey in a way that is meaningful, at least from my perspective. And so, you know, I think that sometimes when you start on these journeys, you're very essentialist, right? Like I can only work with people from my community. Like I'm not going outside, like, no, this work cannot happen in silos. And I'm grateful to the allies that have said, yo, like we like what you're about and we wanna make sure that other people get to know that too. So I'm, I'm thankful, forever thankful. Aww. And I am too, because look at you blossoming, doing amazing work, that's great. Um, to everybody out there that's, that's thinking, okay, that's you, I don't wanna go outside of my community please take a second to kind of think about why you just said that or why you're fighting going outside of your community. And then give Camila a call because she can help you with that. But without further ado, I'm going to open the floor and see if anybody in the room has questions. Please use the chat and type in your questions and I will hum until somebody types a question. Just while we're waiting. Can I say something, Trina? So I was so excited. And when I get excited, I like to listen to music to hype me up even more. So I don't know what kind of music you like to listen to, but I was listening to Annie Up by MOP. Do you know that song? Is I think I know that song, it's which good. is like, yeah. It, yeah. And so I was like doing the thing and I was like, oh my God, I need to change my shirt. 
because I think I'm going to start looking sweaty on camera. That's not good. <laughs> man, now I want to listen to that song because maybe I should put that on my playlist before I come in here because I'm always so. Yes. And then I put yes. that on my playlist and I'll be like. oh okay so you're giving us tips outside of setting boundaries and i appreciate that we don't have any questions in the chat but i have more questions for you so don't worry what was the last straw you would say before you left that last environment um what was the last action that happened there that made you okay i cannot do this anymore Ooh, so when I first started in that particular role, in that particular organization, I started knowing that I wanted to do work that was intentionally going to focus on um, the Black community. And there was a lot of work happening within the organization that focused on the Black community. And I was intentionally left out of those spaces. And I remember telling someone that it's like sitting in a sandbox where there is only sand and watching children play on this beautiful playground and knowing that you will never have access to that playground because the people who can give you admission don't think that you fit in. They don't think you're good enough. They don't think that you can toe the line. Essentially, I was not going to be the person that was going to continue to um, be complicit in organizational practices that didn't align with my values. And so I decided, actually, it was very kind of, um, I was thinking about it, but it was last minute, I was actually in a meeting and I was like, I quit. Yeah, I mean, I gave notice, but that day I was like, you know what? I can't sit in one more of these meetings. I quit. And it was the most liberating thing I've done in 2021. And I'm so happy for you. I mean, I'm not happy that you had to sit in the sandbox and watch the other kids play, but I'm so happy that you were able to identify, like this is, I cannot continue to put myself through this every single day. Mm-hmm. Um, in a similar experience that literally happened to me. I, I mm. remember I sent in my two weeks notice and my boss did not reply. She, but she spoke to everyone else in the organization about my two weeks notice. And I said, what the hell? No, I'm not, no, 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 I cannot, I cannot do this for two more weeks. Um, and it was the same thing. Like, I'm not, a bad person. I'm not like, I am a hard worker. This is happening because of something y'all have over there. And I cannot, mm-hmm. I just cannot, I just cannot. So mm-hmm. I'm so glad that we both were like, no, this nah, nah. We said nah and said yes to Black Mental Wellness. Yes. And in saying that, we opened up opportunities for other Black women to also say nah and decide that they're gonna do something more aligned with who they are and that values their purpose and everything they have to offer. Like, I'm so dope. Can you imagine (laughs) me sitting in a place where I'm not recognized as being dope? No, no, thank you. I'm good. 
And I want everyone who's listening to take that away. Like you are an amazing person. We love you so much. And you deserve all the money and gold and everything in the world. You deserve to be happy in the skin that you are in. And if an organization is not treating you as such, then it's, it's time to reevaluate that relationship. Like what is going on? Why is this 80, 20 and not 50, 50? Mm-hmm. Mm. Ooh, okay so the transition from kind of i don't know who i am to uh i'm so fucking dope <laughs> it has a lot of bumps in between it i know because i'm i'm not even all the way to i'm fucking dope <laughs> um what are the coping mechanisms or kind of um practices you have in place to remind yourself that you're so dope I spent a lot of days sitting with my emotions, a lot of days. So, you know, sending my daughter off to virtual school and just taking like 10 minutes in the washroom to cry. And then once I finished crying, I had to remind myself of what made me so amazing. So I had like a running list and I have this journal. I don't have it like handy, but it's a journal of affirmations from black women. And I would read that whenever I wasn't feeling you know, that great. Um, But it was a reminder that this is not a me problem. Mm. This is an institutional problem. Mm. And even bigger than the institution in which I work, because this isn't the only large institution that I worked for. And there are other spaces where I've had similar experiences being unseen, you know, unrecognized, whatever. Um, But I also had to acknowledge that I was a part of some of the things that happened, right? So I don't wanna just you know, continue to say like, it's a them thing, it's them, 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 them. Yes, it is them. But in so many ways, I allowed some of these things to happen knowing full well that this wasn't the move for me. Um, and so you know, owning my part is important because if you don't own your shit, you're gonna keep on doing the same thing and you're going to, and I, and I can tell you, Katrina, I have coached people to do some harmful stuff. And if I didn't sit in reflection about that, I would have continued to perpetuate the same crap. And that's not okay. So, I mean, I would say though that the road was um, paved with a lot of wine, a lot of tears, a lot of good music, but also connecting with people that I love and that love me. And this is the thing, we can get so consumed by work and the people that exist there that we forget that there are really important people outside of there who will always affirm who you are, always validate you, even when they're calling you on your shit, because you know that when they're calling you out, they're doing it because they love you and not because they wanna make you feel bad or they want you to not speak up in a meeting or they want you to not share an idea or not feel bad when you have shared an idea and it's attributed to somebody else. Like they truly love you and are invested in you. And so connecting with those people outside, oh my God. It's almost like, and I don't know if you can relate to this, when you're in like these work environments, being in a really bad relationship where your partner then begins to isolate you. Yes from people, from things that are important to you. And then you're stuck by yourself. They're treating you like shit and you have nowhere to go. Mm-hmm. Total parallel, total parallel. All the time. And we talk about that a lot on the show, just um, the parallels of an abusive relationship. 
and what a lot of people go to is romantically, but um, those relationships at work are still relationships. So they can be abusive, um, whether it be the entire executive board team or just your direct manager, it can still be an abusive relationship. So it's important that in this space, you take on the vocabulary that you need to kind of, oh, wow, you are gaslighting me right now. You are dismissing me right now. You are uh, disrespecting my boundaries that I just said. Um, I, I started crying. You're an asshole. <laughs> I started crying when you're describing um, the accountability portion. I've talked about this so much on the show, but it still gets me because I think about a younger version of myself in those spaces and I would just do the fake laugh or I would just go back to my desk and like, Oh no, it's okay. Like, it's fine. It's, it's fine. It's not fine. It is. <laughs> no, no, it's not. And I will tell you, there was a moment for me, a light bulb moment where somebody I was managing was in a meeting and they were vocal in the meeting. They don't, they're, they're white. Um, they were vocal in the meeting. And after it was done, you know, they wanted to like decompress with me. And I said to them, you know, maybe next time, like shift the way you're talking or don't talk about that so much. And the person started to cry. And I remember that moment because it was a moment where I realized that all the pain that I had um, gone through and internalized that had shaped my behavior and shaped my complicity in the system, I was then meeting out on somebody else. and. You know, I had to take a moment to reflect and unpack. And I had to say to them, you know what? Because they said to me, I feel like because I am a woman, you said that to me. And if I wasn't a woman, there would be a different expectation about how I present and how I show up. And she was 100% right. So I had to like eat some crow, reflect, and then come back and affirm her and let her know that that was a me thing. Mm. It wasn't a her thing. I allowed my hurt to then shape how I supported them or didn't support them in that moment. And I appreciate her setting that boundary with you instead of just once again, eating or internalizing your behavior and saying, okay, great. I'm an awful employee here and I should never express my opinions ever again. Let me go back Mm -hmm. to my desk. Um, But she was able to say, no, what the fuck was that? I came to you for support and you immediately told me to everything that they are telling me to do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So Very, um, yeah, like a moment of reflection for me, for sure. Yeah. And when these moments come up for us, everybody who's listening, just, I know it sucks. I know that you have to be like, you have to kind of fight yourself and be like, no, but I, I learned that from like the beginning, like it's fine. Then you have to be like, or is it fine? It's so mm. much work. And you're and sometimes you're gonna gaslight yourself and a whole bunch of stuff, but know that just like Camila said, you need to go back to the intention. Why did I join this organization? Am I making the changes that I wanted to change? Am I going where I wanted to go? Um, is this behavior my behavior or is it something I saw in other people that didn't help me out in the instance that they gave to me, you know, that they like showcased it to me? 
Where is my life? Yeah. <laughs> oh. God, you make everything that I say sound so good. No, it, you, you are saying it and I am processing it because that I'm still on this journey with you. It is so hard and it makes it easier to have these conversations because um, once you kind of identify or let people know, like, I don't know a lot or I know enough to continue this journey, but I'm here with you trying to get through this journey. Um, it makes it so much easier. That's why I love having these conversations. Yeah. Oh. And if I can add one more reflection, like we expect so much from people and we can't expect people to do the work that we're not willing to do ourselves. Mm. You want somebody to engage in some self-reflection? Like, do that shit too. Mm -hmm. We can't ask people to walk this journey alone. Mm -hmm. It's up to all of us. It's up okay. to all of us. And that was a really big pill for me to swallow, especially when I started, like, denounce white supremacy, all this shit. Like, get out of here all that but I also had to identify which parts of me I was upholding like um, specifically with my hair uh, when I saw other women of color with my similar hair I mean I I encouraged it but there was also like a twinge in my heart and I had to think about the twinge like mm -hmm. where is this twinge coming from why would I encourage a young black professional not to wear their natural hair to work or to like I remember someone when I first started interview, they're like, hey, make sure you wear a wig to the interview. And I was passing that down. I was passing down that information, um, not realizing like, okay, where did that information come from? What is it saying? Mm -hmm. So yeah, a lot of inside work. <laughs> yeah. For real, for real. But it's all worth it in the end when we get to be people that we can look at mm. and walk in integrity mm. and hold on to our values mm. and know that the way that we walk through this world and walk in the space is gonna influence the next generation. Like I do this for my daughter, I don't do it for me. I need to make sure that her experience is different than mine. Mm. And um, someone asked, what strategies do you suggest for a person who may experience microaggressions at work? Oh, man. I think that a lot of people don't even understand what a microaggression is or when they're experiencing. So get really literate on what it looks like in the workplace. I would also say that you need to have, you know, people within the organization that you can speak to and outside of the organization that you can speak to, to do that emotional work. Um, because you got to get whole if you're going to address these things. And I would address them with the people. And I say that knowing that there isn't always safety in talking to somebody and saying like, hey, when you said this thing, this is how I felt. This is how it impacted me. I would recommend that you not say that to anybody else. But if you are not having those conversations, that person is going to continue to perpetuate and do all of these horrible things to other people. Um, and so it really is important to have like the courage and the personal strength and the resolve um, and also, you know, reflecting on the potential outcome. Like what's the fallout from talking to this person? Do I need to get certain things um, sort of in alignment set up because there's always a potential cost. So find out who your network of support is, 
um, figure out what microaggressions are and what they look like and be able to recognize when you're experiencing them and then talk to the person that you are experiencing them from. I would say in 2021, people should know better, but you would be very surprised at some of the behavior that happens that's never been checked because people are too afraid or they too feel too vulnerable. I hope that answers the question. So, so it definitely helped um, me out. I'm thinking of my younger self when microaggressions happen and just what you said about making sure you know what it is, because in that moment, you're like, what the hell was that? I don't know if I should go to HR about it. I don't know if I should say something about it. You just, once again, do that fake laugh and like, what the hell was that? Mm -hmm. um, so it's so important on your end to make sure you know what you're talking about. So you can have a smooth conversation and kind of lead the conversation instead of just going into it without knowing, okay, can we talk about something? Like I feel something, but I don't know what it was. Mm -hmm. Cause you'll get gaslit for sure. Yeah. They're like, okay, well that's not my problem then. Like, <laughs> uh, so much fun. Um, I think to round out this episode, I'd love to ask you one last question. It sounds like you're doing amazing work, but it also sounds like it is heart wrenching and difficult and it makes me want to cry. Um, so why do you stay in your field and why do you continue to do this work? Wow. I love it. And I do several different things and I love every single aspect of it. I love when people have those aha moments. I love challenging people on their bullshit and being able to have a tea with them after. Mm -hmm. I love working with, because most of my therapy clients are black women. I love working with black women and helping them recognize just how friggin' amazing they are and how much bullshit they have to navigate on an everyday basis. For me, there's just so much also healing that comes in doing this work because in affirming others, I'm affirming myself. It's beautiful. Oh my gosh. In affirming others, I am affirming myself. So even if you're out there saying, you know what, I'm not going to set boundaries. I listened to this and this is trash. Know that without you setting boundaries, you're not helping other people set boundaries. You're not helping take down the system. You're not affirming other people's existence in the world. And that's what we're here to do. Like, mm. Thank you so much for sharing so much with us today. If, do you have any last golden sprinkles that you'd like to share with the audience? I would say know yourself, love yourself. And Katrina, like I've said this a million times before, but like I so appreciate you and the space that you've cultivated here. This is one of the realest conversations that I've had in a really long time. And I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful. Yeah. you better have me back on the show that's what everybody everybody wants to come back okay but let me thank you so much for being an amazing special guest this place is real because the people that come on the show are real yourself included um without you this episode would have been just me talking <laughs> but, um, <laughs> you brought all of your experiences and it has changed somebody's life today me and it's changed somebody's life today. So I can't thank you enough. Thank um, you. This has been absolutely not. I am your special guest, Katrina Stroll, my amazing 
special guest today. Oh, did I say? Uh, I'm your host, Katrina Show. My amazing special guest today was Camila Clayton. She knows everything about everything. So please reach out to her. Her information will be in the show notes and on my website when this episode is published. So please feel free to reach out to her if you're thinking about services or you need a speaker to speak on Black mental wellness. This has been amazing and we will see you guys next time. Bye. Bye. Thank you.